Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, we are cranking through season six of the podcast, and it feels just amazing. I, I cannot believe that we've made it this far, and uh, it's just it's, it's really cool looking back at what we've done. And I hope that you've enjoyed getting to know each of these contributors from the Firetime magazine. So we've interviewed a bunch of them so far this season, and today's episode is going to be the last of those contributors for now, and we will pick it up next season and interview the rest of the team. But in today's episode, you know, this is someone that I know very, very well and is is one of the best sales reps out there. I've interviewed uh, quite a few sales reps on this podcast, and today, talking to Troy, he is, I think, the last of like the super foundational reps that really shaped me that uh, I'm interviewing for the podcast. He's someone that I've known for years, and ironically, my wife has actually known him for, I mean, over 30 years, so... My father-in-law was a Travis dealer in a small town in Oregon, and so my wife grew up in the business. And ironically, she was out of the business for a while, and now that she's married to me, you know, she got roped back into it. But she actually knew Troy and uh, some of the other Travis sales reps back when she was a toddler. And so it's really cool to have gotten to know Troy, not through any connection with my wife, and have her all of a sudden be like, hey, wait, I've known him since I was like a toddler. So he is someone that is really working on investing into the next generation. And some of the things that we talk about in this conversation are, why is it that you want to leave a legacy behind? What are the things that you've been seeing the best dealers do in regards to their territory with COVID-19 in play? He is really thinking about the sales process holistically. Troy has worked as a sales rep for a manufacturer, for a distributor, and actually managed multiple retail stores all in the Pacific Northwest for the last basically 25 years. And so this is a territory that he knows really, really well. And he has a a very good understanding of what is going on in the marketplace and and how businesses can can best prepare and best train their teams in light of it. So I'll I'll jump out of the way for now, and I'm going to circle back at the end because I think that there's some really important points to wrap up on. But for now, lean in because I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. Joining me from Seattle, Washington is the account executive for the Pacific Northwest for Napoleon Fireplaces. I'm here today with Troy Olson. Troy, how you doing? Great, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I'm excited to have this conversation because I think that you might be the last sales rep on my Mount Rushmore of sales reps that have influenced <laughs> me. And uh, I finally tracked you down. So I'm excited about that. Well, I, I appreciate it. I, yeah, I certainly appreciate this uh, this podcast and, and what you guys are doing and, and and certainly love to be a part of it. So thank you. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited to jump into this conversation this season, we're, we're highlighting some of the contributors for the Firetime magazine, and I think it's going to be cool for the industry just to, to really understand who the people are behind this content because, I mean, I, I've known for years just the wealth of knowledge and experience you bring to the table. It's going to be cool for everyone in the country to get to hear that. You know, to start this out, 
I you know I I think about this like Mount Rushmore of, of sales reps, and I actually don't exactly know who's on it. There's been a lot of good reps, but I, I think about in particular people like Kip Rumens, Edward Hozak, Deb Hanig, you know Art Ratcliffe, um, yourself, and others who have really influenced and shaped me. Uh, and I know that there's other people that that you have done that for. Maybe maybe to start things out, why has it been so important to you as a sales rep to really like leave your imprint and an investment on young salespeople? Uh, I, I, that's a great question. I think that the 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 answer to the question is just that is people. Uh, the I have to to thank Kip Rumens for bringing me into this industry. He he and I had a relationship long before I joined. I joined efforts with him. And that's the one thing that I noticed immediately that my first day, he took me up to a fair and, and it was the people, it was the dealer. It was the, the, the grounded nature of, of the way business was done and coming from an industry where we would see an attrition rate of around 30% of our dealers annually, you know, to go into something with some, some stability and, and realism was, was really welcoming for me and really warming for me. And, and, you know, relationships are, are what we do I mean, we, in every transaction, whether we're retail or, or business or, or manufacturer to dealer, manu- distributor to dealer. It's all about those relationships and being able to con- cultivate them. So that's what, what I, I most appreciate about it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know speaking for myself, you, you've definitely made an investment in me and, and I know a lot of other people that have experienced the same thing. I'd love to ask you about just kind of big picture. You're in the Pacific Northwest and you work for a for a, a large manufacturer. We were talking offline about how responsive and adaptive dealers really need to be right now. And I'd love to just hear you talk about like why is it is it so important that like we adapt or we we die? Being adaptive is going to become the most critical thing for the, the retailers that I certainly work with. The distributors that I, I'm, I'm associated with and work with, and certainly the manufacturers as well, uh, whether it's for regulatory reasons, whether it's looking at new profit centers and new ways to to keep your employees or to grow the business that you have, you know, looking at at, at not only alternative products but also adopting some of the things that we're seeing coming from the manufacturing sector is going to be very important, and that means that you may have to adapt your your installation crews and may require new training. You're certainly going to to have to teach your new salespeople, and then also, and this is the big one: embrace embrace that change. Um, very, a lot of people are really stuck in the way they do business, and those people that you see that are stuck in the business tend to be the ones that are starting to chase when when those new trends are out there. Yeah. So, um, I think that's the, the most important reason. Yeah, I mean, I think that COVID has thrown everybody for a loop in in what it means to be responsive, like. I mean, I remember in, in March, I, I flew to New Orleans for the trade show. You know, you heard about COVID in the background and, and it was on people's minds. Uh, but man, when I got home, like it was a different world. Like the day that I got off the plane, I, I got back late that Sunday night and, and the world was different. And, you know, for manufacturers who have had to shut down and all of a sudden ramp up production again to deal with consumers who are increasingly wanting to to buy things and interact in a digital space you know that's a load for manufacturers but man the trickle down for dealers has been crazy and i i mean i i haven't been in the industry as long as you have but i can never think of a you know a nine month span that's required as much innovation as what this has i i would 100 percent agree with you on that and you know the the the, the Again, the, the the cool thing about what is happening right now is it's kind of forcing some of that change. 
within the dealers. I mean, they're trying to have to find new ways to, to bring their products to market. They're, they're having to find new and creative ways to go out and provide the services that they provide, you know, within an environment out, out in the, in the general public where, you know, people are afraid to have somebody walk into a business. Maybe a service tech is afraid to go in there because of, I mean, you, you can't ever gauge somebody's reaction, but you do have to be reactive to it. And, you know, being proactive, being reactive, having a plan. And there's, there's, there's so many different ideas being floated around out there that again, just making sure that your mind is open to to change and to what you need to do is is so critical right now. Yeah. Both as a as a sales rep, I I've certainly had to modify how oh, yeah, I bring my you're, product. You're probably grounded for months, right? I well, on some level, I think everybody still is yeah. in a way. Um, and yeah, we've got a we've got a, a a little bit of a sequestering going on right now, which is it's really hard for somebody that's been traveling for twenty five years to sit in an office every day. Yeah. <laughs> but again, we still have to bring a message out, and we still have to be able to 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 do our work at the same time, and that's that's really what's uh, what, what's if anything has made this fresh and and despite some of the negative associated with COVID. Uh, there's there's certainly a lot that we can all learn from this time too, and and I I've enjoyed that that new learning process. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and for me, uh, you know, my journey has been interesting through COVID. I feel like a couple months into it, I hit the limit of how far my physical abilities could carry me. And there's a lot of things that I've been trying to do with building Wi-Fi or launching the Firetime Magazine, the podcast, you know, consulting and speaking and all the above, and there's some natural abilities I have that, that help me do those things well. But there was a, a multitude of factors that, that all happened right around two to three months into COVID where it was very clear to me what I was good at and what I wasn't. And the best thing for me was that that wouldn't have been forced without COVID. And what it did is it actually forced me to start hiring people that loved doing the things I was bad at and that were able to excel and, and run where I wasn't able to. And I don't know if that would have happened without like the pressure cooker of everything coming together at once. Like I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, for you, like what, what's one like takeaway that you've had that like you've come out better for? Uh, I, I think for me, it, it is, it certainly helped uh, or forced me like you did to, in, in your hiring. It's, it's forced me to help dealers understand the, the, their, their, the analytics of their business a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really fortunate in that my my adult life, I started as a banker and I had some great mentors uh, working in a, in a very niche, very small and, and exclusive bank that, that really kind of taught me some a lot about small business and understanding small business, where profits come from, how profits are lost and so forth. And, and this gives you an ability to to look at some of the analytics, to drill down a little bit on some of the things that we we skim over in conversation, uh, face-to-face conversation, and and really spot opportunities and or uh, spot opportunities for growth and spot opportunities to mediate the loss. Yeah. And and you know as you know, I mean the losses can can easily outweigh the profits and the growth if you're if you're not paying attention to it. Yeah. Them. It's funny. I I guess I'll talk about this. So so you are a member of a very exclusive book club. That that meets. I know you're, you're a member of this exclusive book club that meets probably three times a year for a, for a nice dinner and a few drinks. And uh, there's a group of probably three to four of us with kind of rotating guests who, uh, from time to time, when we're in the same city, we meet up and we just we just talk shop about the industry. And 
you've got some great perspective. You're always talking about sales process, attention to detail, follow up. I'd love to hear you just talk about like how how has understanding like the sales process been so beneficial for your career? Well, for starters, I, I in order for to, I have to thank a lot of people who who literally have have taken somebody that that could have qualified as dumb as box of rocks, and <laughs> um, and and literally you know teaching me through different aspects of sales. I, I love sales and I love being a student of sales and. And certainly right now, I think the, the, the agenda that is most prevalent for me in talking about sales is the emotional quote and the quotient associated with it. When you start looking at, at how we present our products and, and the sterility of what is happening with consumers logging on and doing virtual tours and doing things like that, they're, they're, you, you're eliminating a, a personal touch on some level that we have to bring back into the equation yeah. and acknowledging those 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 emotional triggers that consumers have, whether you are a rep um, working with a, a consumer or teaching a, a retail salesperson how to sell, or uh, you're working with a dealer uh, representing a manufacturer, everybody has emotions. It doesn't matter if you're a builder, a dealer, or a consumer, you all have emotions. They may be different, and you may be talking to a, a different consumer, whether it's a, a a decision maker who happens to be the female in the relationship, or that's a builder that is more learned, more concerned about line items and and cost, you're still dealing with emotions. And I think raising the level of our our EQ level is going to be absolutely critical moving forward and and make us all better, more complete salespeople who who, who don't have to discount. I, I don't necessarily consider discounter salespeople because it's pretty easy to offer somebody 10% off. Uh, and to close a deal. It's a lot harder to establish value, but I will tell you it's a hundred times more fun to establish value because you can't do that without developing a relationship with somebody. And you know, and, and being able to develop that relationship in in five minutes is is going to become far more critical, especially as as our consumers have have lived their lives on three and a half inch screens. And and that's something I see a, a big major trend in. That's so true. So, so you worked, and we'll talk about this later in the interview, you, you've worked for uh, retailers, distributors, and manufacturers. And when you were in distribution working for AES, I, I know that you know Bill Lentz. Very well. And he's, he's been on the podcast before. He's, he's somebody that has really mentored me a lot. And, and one thing that's become abundantly clear to me, especially in the last four to five months as we've really launched the Firetime Magazine and, and, and you know we're selling uh, advertising partnerships and everything that comes with that, is... Everything comes down to emotions, and and I've I've never, I've never seen firsthand how important fear is of a factor in buying something until the last four months. I, I knew it intellectually, but I feel like I've seen it firsthand, and and, and it makes me it, it's reminded me that we all make decisions, and very often buying decisions based on fear. Very often. That, that that we don't want to feel a certain way. We're afraid that if we take this action or if we don't take this action, we're going to get this or that consequence. And, and, and I feel like I can just always hear Bill in the back of my mind saying like, it's not about the numbers. Like there's something underneath the surface that is going on at the emotional level and it probably has to do with fear. So 
you have to find a way to either show how your product can help them overcome that fear or find a way to help disarm that fear so that they can think about the benefit of buying your product. And, and, and that's just never been more apparent to me. Well, and, and you know, Bill, as, as I mentioned, was one of those mentors for me. I, 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 the, the, the man is, uh, is an amazing individual and I learned so much from him. Um, one of the things that he taught me, you spoke about it, it is taking that fear, which is an extraordinarily strong emotion yeah. and one that a lot of decisions are making and, and following that journey from fear to comfort through your conversation or through your interaction. It's, it's, it's that process that it becomes so critical in those people that, that develop it. And that's the beautiful thing about emotions is you don't, you don't have to be a brick. Um, that, that may be your personality, but you can certainly learn to identify emotions, number one, and then to, to begin to transition those emotions from negatives to positives, which is where those, uh, those transactions start occurring. And they start occurring with with far less consumer buyer's remorse, with yep. uh, a dealer buyer remorse, those types of things. When you when you can create a plan within them or within that that interaction to to move that emotion from a negative to a positive, acknowledging the negative and and like you said, providing the solution becomes the positive. And it's that journey, and and it's a very very quick journey. It's very very easy to learn. So. That's uh, that's one of the things I'm most excited about about taking out to the people that I work with on a daily basis in 2021 is, is teaching that transition. Well, we need it because I think that you know much of our industry doesn't have formal sales training, and and we tend to be very technical salespeople, which which in some ways can be a strength. Like if if someone believes that you understand the product that you're selling, there's nothing wrong with that, and that can be a strength. But we very often forget about how it feels to buy something new. We forget about the fear that you feel when you're in an unknown situation. We don't do a great job of being emotionally intelligent or self-aware as to how we're coming across. And yeah, you're right that, that this is a big deal and it, and it can help a lot of dealers. One, one thing I want to ask you, this is kind of changing the subject a little bit, but you've, you've worked for, you know, all the different levels in our industry. You managed multiple retail stores at the same time. Uh, you worked for a distributor for a while and, and, you know, now you're with a manufacturer, one of the compliments I've heard about you is that you do the best job of delivering the hard truth to dealers from the company's side when necessary without like over-promising and under-delivering, but at the same time as that, understand the position that the dealers are in and uh, and treat them fairly. So. I, I feel like that's got to be tied to the fact that, that you've seen the industry from these different levels, but I'd love to hear about how do you walk that line? Um, it, 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 it probably is the most challenging thing that, that any rep does is, is that mediation, I guess, in between, in, in between the people that, that you represent and the brand that you, or brands that you represent and, and that meeting the needs of, of the dealers and the challenges that are out on the front line. And, and I guess I, I look at the manufacturing side at a, at a 30,000 foot level and, and, and seeing a picture and, and having to adapt to, to multiple regions, to multiple geographies, to multiple uh, requirements uh, in terms of regulation and so forth. And then you, but then you've got this front line of, of, of people and, and, you know, what happens in Bellingham, Washington is not the same thing that happens in Spokane or, or down in the Tri-Cities or, and, and then certainly you, you step across the border into Idaho and you're, you're stepping into a whole different world and they have their own needs and, and so forth. And I think that the, the 
one of the biggest assets that that anybody in sales can have, whether you're a representative of retail or or uh, it doesn't really matter, is the, the honesty portion of that. And when you look at emotional intelligence, it's the baseline for emotional intelligence is is honesty, yeah. and being able to to deliver a message. Uh, the term I like to use a lot of times is you're not going to like the next thing I'm going to tell you okay? <laughs> because I, I'm setting an expectation level and, and, and it usually gets somebody to open their ears to, okay, why am I not going to like this? And, and normally what it does is it, it also um, mutes the exchange that the, the defensiveness that comes back. So that's for me, that's that's the big thing is is the intelligence side of it and the emotional intelligence side of it the honesty and the plan and and coming in with some content not just um you know i could easily go up and say well i don't your sales aren't what we where we think they need to be you know it, come in with a plan here's something we've tried have you tried doing this promotion have we tried taking this product what's the dog on your floor you know those types of conversations all have to happen but they have to have with have have to have something substantiating yeah behind them you know i mean there's there's two things that i took away from that that i'm going to put into use right away i'm I'm just gonna start prefacing any hard conversation with you know you're not going to like what i have to say next i seriously like that is so <laughs> good and it sets a horrible expectation that like oh it wasn't that bad you know i i love that and 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 then also i think the plan is so critical that that delivering bad news but having a plan on the backside i i think I think that's amazing. You know, I, I've had that happen, you know, multiple times where, where you have to have a tough conversation, but, but don't leave it at that. Like if, if you failed personally or in your business, just own that and say that, you know, this is where it's at. Like, it's not good, but this is what I want to do about it. And, and I think that's, that's so much better than, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, dumping the trash bag out and, and letting them clean it up. I, I love that. We'll get back to our conversation with Troy Olson in just one minute. Hey, if you've been listening to the contributors from the Firetime Magazine this season, but you haven't gotten it into your hands yet, you need to take care of it. This magazine is unreal, and the content is put out by people like you've been listening to this entire podcast season who are living and breathing it every day and want to help you grow in your business and your career. To get a hold of the Firetime Magazine, you can download our free app at the website itsfiretime.com slash app. That's itsfiretime.com slash app. Now, if you don't want to download an app or have this on your smartphone, you can still have the magazine delivered every single month. And the way that you can do that is by signing up on our website. That website is thefiretimemagazine.com. If you go there, you can enter your email address and get this free resource delivered every single month. The truth is that you work too hard to be steamrolled by your business year after year. This is the opportunity to take control, and we want to help you get there. Go to thefiretimemagazine.com and join the revolution today. What, what I'd love to talk to you about, you know, very often this is this is part of our, our book club conversations. What's, what's something that you're seeing like the best dealers out there do that the rest of the industry probably should if they want to get better? Change changing i mean and and they have plans so we've talked about that a lot but the 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 best dealers that i work with and i work with some of the best dealers in the country by by statistics um is that they are there's not a comfort in the way they have done business before they know that there's going to be some change um 
even the the businesses that the very successful hearth stores that I have that tend to be uh, a little stoic, if you will, <laughs> uh, they they are they're open to to listening to looking to to new technologies to no, looking at new ideas for for not only how they're processing the sales that they process and and the installations that they do. It is just that 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 nature of change, but then also taking a look at some of the things that we do and how do we make how do we make improvements on them. One of the biggest ones that that I I guess biggest soapboxes I've been on over the last couple of years, because of what's going on in the state of Washington, is uh, is the growth in the electric fireplace category. Oh yeah. And I walk into stores all the time. You and I have had this conversation. I walk into stores all the time and you look at, at these absolutely gorgeous, you know, feature displays that they have and the investments that they've made in them. And then you, you look, Oh yeah. Are you, are you in the electric business? Oh yeah. That's around the corner. They you know that's underneath this desk. That's over here. Oh yeah. Yes. The covered in dust and it's not working is, and light bulbs out. Yes. The electric fireplace industry is going to be as big as the gas fireplace industry probably next year when you look at it in terms of sales. So you look at, Oh yeah. At, how how do I bring those retailers that I, I I love so much into this fold and give them a piece of that pie? And part of that is you you start looking at at how how we present our products or who our identity is. And it's okay to change your identity to adapt to what's going on. And that's you know that's a big thing. I know it's a big thing with you and in your counseling and some of the stores that you work with is a having that identity and then also you know. Being able to adapt that identity to the market conditions that you have. Um, I have a great story from a, a dealer up in Bellingham who you you looked at them. They were they were selling two or three electric fireplaces a year, and you know through through what's going on with some of the the legislation up there, that dealer who I would put as a top five percenter, and he's very profitable but very good guy. We opened an electric showroom within his store, and you look at the profit center now that is creating for him it's it's generating revenues you see in five five to, to six sales a week instead of five or six sales a year and and adding to his bottom line without sacrificing the the business and the identity that he had before he's just created a, a new alternative identity for those consumers that want to walk in and the best part is he's keeping that that shopping local i mean we know E-commerce is a is a is a big way of moving products forward. Oh yeah, it's some it's certainly the the way that electrics have come to the market very very well because of the the and and make no mistake it's because the retailers didn't want to adopt it. Oh yeah, and and so they, we've kind of forced it. Now we need to bring that profitability and personal touch, personal experience to the consumers because they cannot get that online. Yeah, I've been I've been talking about this a lot lately that that we think electric fireplaces have no value add for a retailer and uh it's just not true i mean like if 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 the if the product in any way shape or form involves ripping a hole in my wall to put it in you have to work with a professional yeah. like the average person is not going to take a skill saw to cut a five foot wide hole in their wall and reinforce it so that an electric fireplace can go into their bedroom it's not going to happen and it, you know, it's not as technical as a power vented gas unit that's got, you know, like a 200 foot gas line, but it still is an appliance that needs to be installed professionally. And at the end of the day, we sell peace of mind and, yes. and we forget how expensive our products are. Like, I feel like I'm on a soapbox. I've been talking about this a lot that like, if, if I'm going to drop like 500 bucks on something, I want it to work. 
And, and I will buy that online if not, if I don't have any other alternative, but if I have an alternative, that's just as easy as buying online, which I would argue a local buying experience can be just as easy, if not even easier because in one fell swoop, they can tell you what it's going to cost, give you an installation date, come out to your house to double check it. And you don't have to lift a finger. So that's a lot easier than me buying something online, trying to rip a hole in my wall. It doesn't really work. So I try to call up a contractor, but they're too busy. So then I call, you know, a a handyman or someone that does this kind of work. That's a hassle. So we have to get past the the bias of thinking that there's no place for specialty retail because I I think that that there is, frankly, and and it is uh it's foolish not to be considering electric fireplaces if you run a specialty retail shop. Well, I mean, look at and and this this is a conversation if you if you if you believe that things are cyclical, which I do on some level believe that pretty much everything is. Um, you look at the conversations that we had 10 years ago around linear fireplaces. And I cannot tell you how many times I walked into a, a retailer and we were talking about, you know, about products, about displays and you say, gosh, you know, you really need to get on this bandwagon of these linear fireplaces. And and here's what I would hear. Well, they haven't hit here yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess why they haven't hit here? Because nobody's displaying them yet. Yeah. It is okay to be a train, trendsetter. There's very little capital that, that comes from making an addition to your showroom or, or adding a profit center. There's very little capital investment required to do that in relation to the return. And that's, you know, that's a, one of the big ways of, of growing your business to where you want it to go is just establishing those new profit centers. I agree. And, and, and I think our industry is at a, we're at a reckoning point where the way that we've, we've been built, we, we've had, you know, amazing entrepreneurs grow these companies, many of them by the sweat of their brow. But for the majority of businesses, they never let go of that mentality that, that I have to build it. It, it, it it's got to come through me. I'm the only one that can do it the right way. And, and that is the right mentality when you're growing a small business, but your business gets to a point where in order for it to continue it must be bigger than you yes. because, because you can only stretch so far and stuff will start falling through the cracks. And, and so I think we have a lot of business owners who, who feel stuck because they haven't made the investments over the years to build infrastructure. But you know, you're talking about an example of like electric fireplaces and and the, the tangent I'm thinking about is even like how that transitions, like that resistance to change into doing things differently carries over into like, why not hire an inside salesperson to do nothing but follow up with your customers? And and you set up a minimum of every customer gets followed up with seven to 10 times until they tell you that they're buying or that they never want you to call them again. And like, why wouldn't you do that? You know, because follow up is something that, that largely doesn't happen in the industry. Right. And if you have the bid right in front of you, it's not that hard to have someone call and say, Hey, Troy, I know that you and your wife were in the showroom last week and you were taking a look at this gas insert. I just wanted to follow up and see if you had any questions about that project. And if there's questions, this inside person can take them down. And so, you know what? I'm going to have Susan get back to you later today with an answer. That's a great question. And if there's no questions, this inside person can say, Hey, well, that, that's terrific. We have some time left on the schedule this month, but it is filling up quickly. Would you like to get a date in the books? Like, just that phone call in and of itself, it's non-threatening, it's not assuming, and the worst thing the customer is going to say is no. And you go, perfect. You check them off the list, you move on to the next one. But that's an example of building a business bigger than yourself, where 
as, if you have this one person that can do it, all of a sudden, as the business owner, you're getting less phone calls. You're not having to pound the pavement quite so hard because you're being more effective. I think that there's a mentality of letting go that has to happen in, in every business at a certain point. I would agree with you. And it's funny when I ask the question, and it's a question that I frequently ask in, in conversation with when we're talking about sales process, is that follow-up? And you know what, oddly enough, I hear from a lot of owners, what if they say something bad? <laughs> and I, I want them to say something bad. I mean, I honestly, I would a million times rather have them say that to me. And certainly, you know, it was uh, probably the most educational exercise I've ever had in my professional life was when I, I went in to manage those retail stores. Yeah. And I, I had to put, you know, 15 years of my money where my mouth has been, right? But it was one of the things that we instituted, you know, I mean, we'd write bids out and we'd hand bids out to people and think, okay, well, I had a good week. I wrote, you know, 15 bids. And, you know, and then you'd look at that and you'd go, okay, well, that's not a great week. Yeah. <laughs> we need 15 sales out of you this week. That yeah. type of, you know, that's the way, that's the way a, a manager is going to look at it. Right. Yeah. So, well, what did they say when you followed up with them? Well, I haven't followed up. I mean, you got that whole piece of paper right there and, or pile of papers right there. Let's, let's make a couple of phone calls today. Yep. And, and, and turning it into an exercise and believe it or not, it, it sounds like a chore, but it's really not. I mean, yeah. you get to have a conversation and open and honest conversation with somebody. And statistically, most of those people don't go and buy somewhere else. Yeah. They, they just don't buy. Exactly. And, and that's the, the, the thing that a follow-up gives you is a, a second shot at somebody. If you're the business owner, you didn't pay a dime for that second opportunity. You may have paid something in your, your advertising, your marketing yep. program, certain for the first interaction, but you didn't pay anything for the second one. Yeah. And that's the one that is maybe the most important one or third or fourth or fifth, however many times it takes. But, but I don't, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. I've, I've talked to the same consumers shopping for the exact same appliance two or three years in a row. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, it's, it is, you know, very, very important there. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, I think what it's speaking to is like, it goes, I guess it goes back to adaptability that we have to be honest about what was it that got our business here. And we're not going to take anything away from that, but, but is that the key to growing it? Like literally this morning I was, I was talking to a friend on the phone and he said, Tim, like there's a revenue number. Like when you get past this revenue, your business is different. And, and, uh, I think it's very true that, that, them and what's used to grow a business is going to be different than what's used to scale it. And there's nothing to take away. There's nothing that's wrong with, with either one and they both have their appropriate time and place. But I think you're right. The dealers that are, that are adaptable are going to be the ones that win. And the cool thing is like, even if you're someone who's older, that's run a store for a while, it doesn't take that long to do this. I mean, if you're willing to invest a a year and a half to two years, I mean, your business can be turned around. And and I'd argue that like, you could probably only be working two or three days a week. I, I've actually seen that happen, so I know it's true. Uh, I, I, I know I know several retailers who who currently operate their businesses remotely because they they a have surrounded themselves with good people. They they trust the people that they work with. They've created a culture and an environment that includes the employees and in, in the decision making processes. And you know, not complete transparency, but, but yeah, a level a, of appropriate transparency, appropriate transparency, appropriate level of transparency to their staff. Because the, the, the most valuable employee to me is an employee who takes ownership in what they do. Yeah. And taking ownership, if you're a retail salesperson, could be something as simple as, as dusting off the appliances that you're trying to sell, yeah. you know, on a daily basis or, 
or you know improving one aspect of of your of who you are and and one of the things that that I did on the the retail side when I when we got into and we were we were opening two new stores and we had to staff those two new stores um, had to hire installation crews to to accommodate the, the the additional revenues that we were expecting from them and as I was interviewing salespeople I I, I had this one gentleman I'll, I'll never forget he was uh, he was very very he was very good he was very polished but his value to me as a business owner manager was nothing because he knew nothing about my industry. Mm. And I was explaining to him that the reason that, that, that my program was the way it was with a, a base salary plus commission and his base couldn't grow. He couldn't get to the highest base level until he could hit certain benchmarks yeah. of knowledge. And he was, well, but I, I, I sell a million dollars worth of this a year. I said, that's great. <laughs> you can't do that in, in, in this industry with me for probably five or six years, honestly if you could get to that point. And, and so, you know, we, we ended up shaking hands and parting ways. Uh, but, but it, it, you know, it's understanding what your value is to the organization that you work for and taking ownership in what you do. Um, I, I like to tell the, the people that I work for, this is the territory that I cover is my territory. It's not theirs. Um, it's a territory that they've given me to, to work within and yes, they can lay some lay claim to the ownership because I can certainly be replaced anytime, anytime. Uh, I know that. But the intellectual capital that I bring makes that territory mine yeah. because I, I know that the people, I know the marketplace, I know that the and, and I spend a lot of time constantly relearning the people in the marketplace because they change. Yeah. Well, we, you spent 25 years ingrained in it. Well, yeah, and, and and honestly, one of the coolest things right now is 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 watching the next generation step in and lead. And we have some some outstanding ones, some guys that you work with, yeah. some people that you're good friends with, some you know. And certainly, I've I've watched some of these kids grow up and 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 into this business, and just the level of intelligence and the fact that they were listening when you didn't know they were listening when you were in in meetings with you know with their parents or with yeah. their predecessors, you know if it wasn't them, if it wasn't a child that bought the business away. So it's one of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about, about the next 20 years in this industry. Um, I'm not sure I have that, but I'll try to make it that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that the people listening to this appreciate you. And, and those that didn't know you before, just, I know that they got a ton of value. So thanks for being here today, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Tim. Thank you for having me. And as always, it's, it's great to talk to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Troy Olson. I got a ton out of it. And, you know, I, I think that he just has a lot to bring to the table. And it's going to be amazing just reading the content that he produces for the Firetime magazine over the next year. Some of the things that I want to talk about here in the wrap up is just that, that ability of being able to adapt. This is so important. And I think that for many retailers, we have been stuck in the same practices over and over and over again and as a as a retailer you you know you don't want to reinvent the wheel just just for the sake of reinventing it like there's a reason that that cars have four wheels and they're round you know we don't need to start trying to come up with new shapes for for that but understanding those those basic principles that don't change there is a lot that we really need to think about. You know, I know for me personally, one of my biggest things that I'm trying to work on is how can I continue 
to disrupt myself, right? So like, I don't question the like foundation principles of like, let's make it easy for the customer to buy from us. Or um, let's, when we talk to people, let's be super, super clear. But, but understanding those foundation principles that don't change allows me to think about the methods and tactics that I use to apply them. And, and that's what we have to do because we, we have to be able to adapt. You know, there's a lot of companies that have had these monster seasons because they prepared and they adapted. And there's other companies that tried to stick with just what they'd done and the season bit them because they weren't ready for it. They hadn't adapted. They didn't have product and, and, and they, they didn't do the things that were needed to capitalize on it. And unfortunately, they, they lost some sales. So I think that that's really big. One of the things that's so funny, you know, with Troy, we talk about this uh, this exclusive book club, and and the book club is something that happens probably three times a year, very informally. And there's kind of a there's a core group of of uh, three of us, and then kind of a, just a rotating cast of of whoever's in town. But whenever we get together for the book club, we we go to a you know a, a decently nice restaurant, and we usually hang out for for four hours plus sometimes, and you know we'll get a couple drinks and just talk about the industry. What are you seeing? We'll speculate, just kind of dream about the future. And what's really cool is that in those conversations, it's 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 a combination of retailers and sales reps. And I would just encourage you to surround yourself with community to make you better. As a retailer, I, I know how isolating it can be. And it feels like, you know, you're the only one. There's there's no one that, that really understands this. And, and you don't want to just call up your competition and, and uh, you know, spill all your guts or your secrets. I, I understand those things. But the truth is that you're not alone. There's people all over the place that want to help you get better. And I would actually argue calling up your competition to go grab a beverage or a meal is not the worst thing in the world. And you might find that there's actually a friendship to be had. It's really special. And I, and I would just highly encourage you to... Find somebody that you can start to grow with together. Now, finally, you heard us talk about the sales process and how important it is. This is something that that I think many of us fail to take seriously, but push into your reps like Troy. You know, I mean, we've had other great reps on this podcast like Kip Rumens, Deb Hannig, Art Ratcliffe. We had Scott and Nathan just recently from Cozy Heat and from Mendota. You know, there are so many good sales reps that understand the sales process. Give them time with your team. It's free, right? Like you don't have to pay thousands of dollars to bring in a consultant. You've got sales reps that can train your team very effectively. So I hope that you got a ton out of this. I I know that there's a lot there to chew on. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And we are so thankful for those of you that are supporting this, right? And like, even if it's like three bucks a month, like consider it us going out for a, a, a digital cup of coffee every month, like amazing. And for those of you that can contribute more, that's that's terrific. You know, we we use 100% of the funds that come in on like a very you know tight shoestring budget to help alleviate some of the administrative costs of this podcast, just so we can you know continue to produce the best content that we can. And it means the world that, that you trust us to help grow your business and that you're investing in this. So thank you. We don't we don't take it lightly. Now, 
I'm going to get out of the way here and let you guys get back to your week. I, I hope that there are some things here that you can put into play. If you're a sales rep listening to this, you just heard from one of the best. And, and I know that there's, there's going to be some things that you can do to give more value to your dealers. So until we talk again, I want you to remember that your work really matters. It, it really does. Every day you get to go out and create prosperity, either for your customers or your team members or, or your suppliers, whoever, but that's what you get to do. And I want you to know that you're not alone and that what you're doing is worth it. So hope you guys have an amazing rest of the week and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.